Thank you, Alex. Sunday school children are retiring to their classes, and uh, we will continue our series in First Timothy. And uh, what we're going to be looking at today is kind of a not particularly dealing with verse by verse as I usually go through the scriptures, but looking at an important subject or area in this day and age. You know, he will hold me fast. We've just sung that. The Lord will hold us fast. And we can ask the question, well, how does he do that? We can easily tick that box as well. The Lord's sovereign. He kind of does that. He looks after us. He cares for us and watches over us. And, um, but yeah, but how does he do that? You know, one of the ways and one of the most important ways how he does that on earth? When people join and are members of a Bible-believing teaching church, they are involved in the ministry, they are members of that church and are serving in the church. That's a way he holds us fast. Sometimes we don't think of that, do we? We just sort of think of the mystical type of uh, thing that the Lord will look after me individually and and exclusion, but no. And um, he he looks after us and he cares for us so much that he's instituted the church, the local church. And he's taken care of how leaders in that church are set up so that we, as a church, and leaders in that church, care for the souls of the Lord's people. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. And uh, I see that photo up in the, in the, on the screen there. If your picture's not there, that means you weren't at church that day. And, um, and so uh, challenge yourself. Um, but the, I call myself, who is in charge of New Community Church? I'm making this really personal today. You know, the older I get, and as you see, I can get, am getting old, the more I see the ongoing need to address basic subjects of biblical truth that seem to so easily get lost in our day and age. To some of us older folks, once what we held and was kind of everyday norm, it kind of gets lost. And in the melee of culture and the passage of time and influence of religious tradition, many components of living biblically become muted. For example, someone last Sunday, I was talking to a group of guys and, and we made the mention that how necessary, this is after Kevin and Dawn's um, 60th wedding anniversary, and how necessary it is today, like never ever before, to promote and celebrate biblical marriages. And I said, wow, that is so, so right. Congratulations. Who's, who's had a marriage um, anniversary? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm having a senior moment here. I mean, that's yeah. Stand up. Where, where's Michael today? Oh, he's oh, he's in Sunday school. Good man. Oh, yeah. Okay, congratulations. So we need to celebrate marriages like never before, and um, and simply because biblical marriage or the idea of biblical marriage, sadly to say, even amongst many Christians, has become hijacked with everything else, with cultural standards and worldviews. And sad to say again, those standards and worldviews make their mark in the church as they trickle down from culture. And this is happening all the time in very many areas. And so I, I see the need, and as, as a leader in this church, I see the need to, to counterattack these humanistic ideas 
not with my opinions, but with biblical truth, so that new generations that are coming through can have their hearts stabilised in order to make personal stands with God-centred stands on such matters. We need that today, don't we? Hence I see the urgent need to reinforce these biblical standards for our living and our worship like never before in our history. And this is what Paul does here. This is what Paul does for young Timothy, younger man Timothy. When I say young, he was probably 30 plus. He was a pastor teacher at the church of Ephesus and he was a bit timid about it was being plagued by cultural standards and religious traditions. Nothing much changes, right? And one area that the church needed to know God's mind on was that of church and its leadership. Sadly, as then and so today, the church tends to bow to culture and tradition. When I say tradition, I'm talking church tradition, denominational tradition, rather than bowing to and submitting themselves to God's mind on the matter. For example, ask many today, who's in charge of your church? An answer will come out. He's the pastor, and I might introduce the pastor's name or whatever, or, or, or thinking to that effect. And often in this scenario, the, the pastor or the minister, whoever he might be, also considers and gets used to the idea of being in charge and ends up burning out or dropping out. Quite often that happens. You would know of situations like that. And this happens because he wrongly assumes that he is kind of a manager or CEO of this organization. And, um, and he ends up doing a whole lot more than God ever asked him to do in the first place. And so all the variations and styles of church governance or leadership is because simply this. Because what the Bible has said has been commandeered by ignorance, denominational tradition and cultural standards. So in order to be clear on this and to prevent us, hopefully, from falling into the same trap, we need some answers from the Bible, right? Who's in charge of the church? Now, I even know in this very small congregation, we have some different views or some different traditional ideas on what the church's leadership is and how it's made up and, and how it should work, etc. But this morning... Before we look at actually the detailed qualifications of leaders, that's elders and deacons in the church, we'll look at that next week, God willing. I want to take some time to explain and reinforce some basic fundamentals of leadership structures in a local church. I don't think I've ever gone into a depth. In a, it's almost like a topical sermon, so I'll repent about that after. Um, a topical sermon, but I'll be looking at text to back up what I say. And so simply put, here I've got a purpose statement. I don't usually have this, but I'll say it to you. The purpose of this message is to develop from the Scriptures that Christ exercises headship over his church through spiritually mature elders who shepherd the flock. There you have it. So the first point I've got up there is the fundamental standard of the church government is that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And you'll all nod, of course, that's right. I don't think any here would have a problem with that. Even if you come from a different denomination here this morning or a different background or had a different church upbringing, you would nod your head in agreement to that. This answers who is in charge of the church because we know that Jesus Christ is. Why? Because it's his church. 
But sadly, though, though this, this principle is accepted, it is so often denied in the way churches, some churches, operate. So if nothing else, we must cling to the, the truth that the church total, that's right from Pentecost, right until when the Lord takes us home at the rapture, the church total, every believing saint, right throughout the whole world, and the church local, like we have here, Jesus Christ owns that church. He, it's his why? Because he bought it with his own blood. He claimed ownership when Jesus was on earth and he says, I will build your church? No, I will build my church. He claimed rightful ownership back in Matthew sixteen eighteen. So the local church does not belong to the pastor or to the elders or to the congregation. It belongs to Jesus Christ who alone is its supreme head. Ephesians 1, verse 23 says this, And God placed all things under his, that's Jesus Christ, his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And so because of this, folks, we cannot say that this is my church. You know what I mean. It doesn't belong to any of us. It belongs to Christ the Lord. A little bit further, never in the New Testament are the leaders of a local church referred to as the head of the church, including the Apostle Peter himself. But also notice this, neither is the church a democratic organization where a ruling majority give the church its direction. No way, it never is. So the key question in church government or church leadership and how it goes forward is not what is the mind of the members, but what is the mind of Christ? That's the key question. You see, the church is what we call a living organism with Jesus Christ as the living head. The church is not organized like a corporation, a business is where you may have the pastor and he's at the top of the heap and underneath him you may have a board of deacons, etc., etc., and the congregation are like shareholders and they sit at the bottom. No, the church is not like that at all. The church is a living organism, not simply a structured organization. Now, this is not saying, and I'm not saying here, that the church as an organism is not organized. It is saying that the church is a whole lot more than an organization. It's a living, responsive entity. In other words, the church responds to its head. Just like I'm moving my arms here, probably far too much. I'm getting probably a false signal from the head. My body responds to what it gets from the head. This is why I love the body analogy of the church in the Bible. And so the church is a living organism, just like our physical body. It responds to what its head tells us. Sometimes, I know, human beings need to engage the head before they do things, but there you are. Uh, that's, that's basically what it is. And so Christ designed the church this way, so that like a physical body, each forever member is mutually dependent on one another, 
and that we can interact with one another in harmony. Why? In order to carry out the will of the Father by what? By obeying our head, which is Jesus Christ. Simple, right? So you might ask, and some groups, dare I say, lean this way, why have any leadership at all? Let's have no leadership but Christ. Well, the answer is this. The Holy Spirit appoints elders. He appoints elders to allow Christ, Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of God in heaven, he appoints elders to allow him to exercise his headship over his church that way. That's why we appoint and have eldership. Now, when we understand and value this biblical view of church leadership, it results in an entirely different outlook of what the church is and how it conducts its business. See, I really feel today the local church is devalued in so many people's hearts and minds. I can say that with absolute surety because church is not a priority to many believers, sad to say. Everything else often comes first. Whether it be a birthday party or whether it be a Sunday dinner or whether it be some whatever, church is sort of relegated down the pile. And that tells me that church is not a priority and it's because they don't understand what the local church is. You see, we've sung that he will, how the Lord will care for us and he will never lose us and he watches over us. How does he do that? As I said right at the outset, primarily he does that through the local church as we obey him. So the Holy Spirit appoints elders to allow Christ to have his headship. And if you view the church as some other way, and some people do in different circles, as simply, as I said before, a democratic organisation, this is where every member has a right to vote on church direction and leadership, etc., and, um, and plus the whole lot of details, and you're having whole lots of meetings where you're having raising of hands and votes and, and so forth. All that is is church politics. Church politics. Democracy may be a best, good way to run a country, or some social club, but it's not God's way for the church to function. You see, when the congregation is the government, can we say, or the local church, you know what it ends up doing? It simply ends up trying to manage and manipulate a bunch of self-willed people through a majority rule. That's what it does. You see, folks, it's only when individual members are living in daily submission to the living head, which is Christ, and seeking to obey his word selflessly, it's only then will we see and value how the Lord has something entirely different than democracy in the mind for the governance of the local church. So to see God's design of church governance in action, the scripture teaches that Christ exercises his headship through spiritually mature elders. Now, when we think of elders, there are two main words that, firstly, are interchangeable in the New Testament to describe them. We have elders and overseers. Alex has reminded us already uh, some time back of, from Titus 1 and 5 and verse 7, 
how Paul wrote to Titus, to appoint elders and overseers, okay? To elders and overseers in the church at Crete. And the same interchange between elders and overseers is seen, is seen in one, when Paul calls a meeting with the elders and overseers of the Ephesus church in Acts chapter 20, verse 17 and 18. The word elder in the Greek pays special attention to the man himself. It refers to his maturity, and not so much his age, but more to do with his spiritual maturity and ability to discern things. Now, although there is no set age in Scripture, this level of spiritual maturity and discernment in most cases belong to men of more mature age. Now, mature age can be a lot younger than what you think, or it can be older than what you think. The word overseers, on the other hand, the word overseers, on the other hand, it moves past looking at the man himself and focuses attention on the nature of the elders' work in the church. So, overseer carries with it the idea of men superintending, watching over, or guarding the local church. That's what the word overseer has in mind. It's a descriptive title. And this term points to a a spiritually mature man, a spiritually mature enough to discern spiritual dangers and to guard the flock and bring them into a healthy spiritual growth. That's what the term overseer emphasizes and looks into. But there's a third word that is involved in biblical leadership model, and it's the word pastor or simply shepherd. Now please take this note as a word of given in grace, because I've never promoted myself to be called pastor. And I do so because I believe it's biblical. The word pastor was never designed to be a title. Never designed to be a title. Pastor simply describes the work and what it does, it uses the analogy of a shepherd working with his difficult, sometimes horrible, all sorts of kind of sheep. You get the picture? This word was used, is used as a noun only once, I might say, for church leaders when Paul wrote that God has gifted some, and here's the noun, as gifted some as pastors and teachers. And so he puts that word together, pastors and teachers, clearly indicating that the two concepts are tied together. We have that in Ephesians verse 4 and 11, chapter 4 verse 11. And to have a more accurate understanding on this word, the verb or the action form of this noun of pastor is used of church leaders in several places. For example, Jesus told Peter in John chapter 21 verse 16, shepherd my sheep or he could have said this is our tra- we've got sh- our translation our english translation is shepherd it could have been as well pastor my sheep paul told the elders at ephesians to shepherd or or pastor the church of god which he purchased with his own blood peter in first peter 5 2 says to his fellow elders shepherd or pastor the flock of god among you and 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 just to put a crown on all this Pastor and shepherd description 
We see in 1 Peter 2.24 that Jesus is called, what? He's called the shepherd or, same word, pastor and guardian or overseer of our souls. So what all this means is that human pastors and shepherds, if you want to, whatever term you want to call it, like myself and my fellow pastors, elders and overseers, what happens is we work under and are accountable to the Lord Jesus Christ who is our chief shepherd. We have that in 1 Peter 5 and verse 4. Now, there are other derivatives from this word pastor or shepherd. But the main point of all these terms, elder, overseer, pastor, the main point is that there is to be a chosen body of leaders in the local church. That's the main point. A chosen body of leaders in the local church. So, now we need to see what the Bible prescribes in regards to those who are elders, pastors and shepherds. And we don't want to rely on tradition, right? We don't want to rely on tradition for this or culture. We want to look to the word of God. Okay, first of all, elders should be men, not women. Woo! Now I'm treading on... Well, I'm speaking with friends here, I agree. But... Um, move outside of these circles and this will be debated in my last message we see this from chapter 2 from verses 11 to 15 we saw that God had designed leadership in the church to be men and not women and that's all there is to it and the reason was this is to preserve God's creation order and we looked at that in some detail even though it was violated God's creation was violated by the, by the fall by man falling into sin God still has his role for men and women in the church. And on top of this, every time elders are mentioned in the New Testament, they are men, not women. Our culture will hate this, but so be it, right? Even the qualifications that we'll look in the following verses, from verses 1 right through to 7 on elders, and a little bit further uh, into deacons, but that's another story. Deacons, I believe there is room for deaconesses, as we have in Romans chapter 13. Phoebe was a steward, which is deacon. But we're talking about elders here. Every time that I mention the New Testament, they're men, not women. And, um, and in this next section, it's always he. You don't see she or they. It's male is in the spotlight. For example, the man is to be husband of one wife. Yeah, this is really cutting it straight here. You know, this is, this is, we've got to raise these things in this day and age. Soon you won't be able to politically correct us, talk about a husband and wife because of our gender interaction or so forth that's being promoted. But the Bible speaks about an elder being a male and he is to be the husband of one wife. We'll look into what that means, God willing, next week. So this makes it plain that the office of elder, overseers, pastors intended to be by God to be for men. Now even though the culture is pushing for gender role equality, or it can be, here's another scenario, or it can be, and I've heard of this one and I've, I've known of it um, taking place, and no doubt we have ladies in our congregation who are a whole lot sharper than some of us men, including the leaders of this church. Okay? I know some ladies are a whole lot intellectually sharper. And some, too, I might say, are more gifted and have a, more, a greater ability at public speaking than some of the men here. So what do we do? 
well, because I've got the gift of public speaking, you'll put them up here. No. There's still no reason to put women in the leadership roles that God never intended for them. That's pragmatism really. You know what pragmatism says? If it works, do it, no matter what the consequences. That's pragmatism rather than obedience ruling. So we can't go there. Now, this is not to say that women cannot teach or serve as pastors to other women in the church. We have some here in our congregation who fulfill this role uh, very well and they do a great job. Just like their women were encouraged, are encouraged to do that in Titus chapter 2. But never over men. Secondly, elders should not be novices but be spiritually mature men. To some of you this is all fundamental, basic, but I honestly see the need to bring it to a surface and refresh our minds on it. We've already seen the, the term of elders and overseers and pastor kind of equal maturity, right? And more than one uh, area. But the idea of, of one being spiritually mature and most likely in age is seen in the list of qualifications that we'll dig into, God willing, in the ensuing weeks. And as we look at that whole list, just let's have a look at them right now. Verse 2. An overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. First Timothy chapter 3. He is not to be addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. There you have a whole list of qualifications. 1 Timothy 3 on what an elder is to be. And we see that, that he's not to be a novice. He's meant to be mature. And so this whole list actually reflects spiritual maturity. And spiritual maturity and mature, it's, even spiritual maturity is something that can only be developed over time. Now, some may leap ahead faster than others, but generally speaking, when a person becomes a Christian, the next day or the next week or the next month, in most cases and even the next year or so, they are not spiritually mature enough to take on the eldership of a local church. In other words, a novice in the faith would be at a disadvantage in order to prove himself in these things. For example, we see there that an elder is to be above reproach. By the way, this tops the list both here and in Titus when we have the list of qualifications. It tops the list, it comes first. And so to tick that box, it demands that an elder must be a man who has experienced enough of the issues of life to have at least his integrity tested. We're not talking about good intentions here. We're not talking about the amazing potential that some younger men may have. And we love to see that and it's so encouraging by the way. But this is about a proven man whereby his reputation and integrity has been weighed in the balances and not found wanting. 
Of all the qualities listed here, there is only one, actually, that has to do with ability or giftedness, and that is he is to be able to teach, or apt to teach, as the King James Version says. All the others have to do with qualities that can be readily observed by others over time. In other words, his home life, his personal ethics, his business arrangements, his integrity, all that stuff that takes time needs to be tested and come through worthy. Elders should be a plurality of men. As you know, our church is not a singular pastoral church. I'm not at the top, okay? Many churches operate this way, by the way, where the minister is at the top and, as I said before, a board of deacons may serve him under him in the church. Uh, but we believe the Scriptures teach that eldership in the church is to be plural. We see this in Acts chapter 14, verse 23. We see it in Acts chapter 20, verse 17. We see it in Philippians 1, verse 1. We see it in Titus verse 1, chapter 1, verse 5. Often whereas Paul addresses to the elders, plural, the saints, or the deacons and the saints, it's plural. The elders are plural, never singular. And so the local church in the New Testament is recognized as being made up with elders, deacons, and saints. This kind of helps me understand, you know, people say, oh, yeah, we have a church in our home. Oh, okay, you've got elders, have you? Oh, no, no, no. No, no, we haven't got elders. Well, don't call it the church then. It may be a Bible study, and that's fantastic, but don't call something that's a church that's not a church. According to the Scriptures, a church is made up of elders, deacons, and saints. I'm a simple guy, you know, I just look at the scriptures and just read what they say. That's pretty simple for me. So, you know, we have all these people hiving off and doing this and doing that. Oh, you know, we have a church in a home. Where we have, and we, they try and do this to substitute, maybe because they've fallen out with some other group or whatever, and, and they'll have a church in their home, and, and they get satisfied with that, and they justify their actions by calling it a church. But it's not a church. I love this concept of plurality of elders, by the way. I really do. I've always valued it highly. I first came to this church 15 years ago. You know, there is, I love it not only because that there is many, there is much wisdom and many counsellors as we have in Proverbs 11 verse 4, but also there's wisdom in sharing the responsibility and the weight of leading the church in a healthy and God-centered direction. I love sharing the weight. I don't make any major decisions on my own. I always run it past my elders. That's why we have elders' meetings. We meet for prayer and, and, and we discuss the, the direction and the, and, and of the church and, the, and the, we pray for the, the saints. Even though I am the one who is supported to preach and teach, when I say supported, I hope you pray for me, but you also know that I am supported financially. Even though one I am support, uh, the one that I am supported, I, I am not my own authority. I am under the authority of my elders. And we together are subject to the chief shepherd, which is Christ. That's how we work. That's how we believe the New Testament church should work, according to the Scriptures. And so what this does is it cancels out me dominating and calling the shots. You wouldn't like that. 
believe you me. You would not like that at all. You ask my wife, okay? I have to be curbed often. By the way, you know what? The only man or one man ruler of a church in the New Testament was a man called Diotrephes. And if you want to learn about him, you look up in John 3 or 3 John 9 verse 7. And the Apostle John comes in and he rebukes him. He really tears him apart. Why? Because this man, it says, he loves to be first. And so this man, Diotrephes, he exercised a heavy-handed authority all by himself. He wasn't going to listen to no one. You see, elders need to be subject to Christ as taught by the apostles. Remember the apostles? They appointed elders and that when the church was first starting off and then they told their delegates like Timothy and, and Titus, you appoint elders in your places. And so the church was starting off and you might say, oh wow, how do we appoint them today because we haven't got a Timothy and a Titus here and you know, we had, his, had the apostle Paul's hand laid upon them. We haven't got apostles anymore and so we're stuck here. What, what, what happens? This brings us to the next question. How are elders selected by God? Or how are elders selected? They're selected by God and recognized by the church. Now, I have already discussed how the church is not a democracy. I just want to touch on this again because some of us are affected this way. Now, we in in the West may value this form of government as running a country. Even in its weakness, we know that democracy is weak. We can see what democracy does and ways decisions are happening and even in our country today. It's all in the name of democracy. This is not the way the church is run. Matter of fact, someone once said, democracy may be a great way to run our country, but it's a lousy way to run the church. Never let us forget that a biblical church, as I said right at the beginning, is a living organism that submits to the headship of Jesus Christ by how? By obedience to his word. That's a whole lot different than taking a vote and following the majority opinion on spiritual matters and direction and nurture of our souls. It is. It's a whole lot different. Acts 20 and 28 states how a man becomes an elder or an overseer. It says this, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So to be an elder, it's divine calling. As the church was being established, the apostles appointed elders. We have that in Acts 14 and 23. In other words, Paul didn't hold elections. He appointed elders. And later on, as local churches were being established, as I said before, he had his delegates, Timothy and Titus, appoint elders. We have that in Titus 1.5. And so this is God's doing. And it is true, we don't have apostles today. But you know what we do have? We have the apostles' doctrine. And what is the apostles' doctrine? The apostles' doctrine gives us in this area divinely inspired qualifications. So when we read the qualifications here on how elders are recognized and selected, it's as good as the apostle Paul, as it were, laying his hand on you and appointing you personally. The Holy Spirit is still involved. This is the Word of God. He's still involved in making overseers. 
And it's not about some mystical feeling or buzz that a a man may get as he feels the call of God coming upon him. No, it's not like that at all. You know what it's about? Obedience. So this is our part. The member's responsibility, the members of the church's responsibility is to seek the Lord. You know what Paul did when he was about elders? He fasted and prayed. We have that in Acts 14 and 23. So we seek the Lord, we fast, we pray and in order to discern which men meet the qualifications and are willing to devote themselves to this ministry. This is a serious matter, folks. We have a serious responsibility in this area of church leadership. In other words, rather than voting for elders at our AGM, we should view it as confirming these men as meeting God's qualifications. And by the way, This will be coming up soon in the next few months. If you know of something in even my life as an elder, Steve's life as an elder, or Peter's life as an elder, or Bill's life as an elder who's not with us today, if you know of something, you don't hold back. You need to come and speak to one of your elders. But it better be founded, okay? Because if there's something in my life or my elders' lives that would disqualify us, you can't just let that go. It needs, because the church needs to recognize. Okay? And we want to be above reproach. We have to be above reproach. That's one of the qualifications. So we at NCC have the opportunity to recognize willing men among us on an annual basis, even the existing elders. Okay? We don't take it for granted that okay, just because we're uh, recognized by the church in the year 2000, we're uh, here till the day we die. No, 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 we don't go down that track. Many of good men have fallen on the way and have disqualified themselves in the ministry. And usually what happens, men in the ministry or in that leadership role will repent or they'll stand down anyway, they'll stand down from that office. But that's how we work here. That's how what we believe the Bible teaches. So the whole point of this exercise is for the Lord's church to be governed with men who are spiritually qualified and examples of godliness. And so understanding that elders are selected by God and recognized by the church, as they meet these inspired requirements that we read, this answers the question, the of who leads a church. But we need to ask now, what are those elders or pastors or overseers, what are they supposed to do? This brings us to our third point. What are they supposed to do? They're to shepherd the flock. That's what they're to do. Good question on top of this. Well, how are they to do this? How are they to do this? Well, amongst all the responsibilities of eldership in a local church, there is one description that does say a whole lot. They are shepherds. Got that? That's a, I love that word. I love that analogy. They are shepherds. And a true shepherd, you know what a true shepherd does? He does not and never serves himself, but he's engaged in serving the needs of his flock. So this brings us to point one here. Elders should provide leadership by example and servanthood. Jesus, the great shepherd, he's our example, right? 
Jesus the shepherd. And so what was a summary statement of his service while I was on earth? He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. We have that in Mark 10.45. There's our example. Paul tells the Ephesian leaders of their divinely appointed work and that they, are, they were to shepherd the flock of God. Peter, Apostle Peter, he charges the elders in 1 Peter 5.2, shepherd the flock of God, and once again, it's very clear there. And I, as I said, I love the shepherd imagery. When I was a younger man, I literally worked with woolly sheep for a number of years. I drenched them, I shore them, I lambed them, I did everything you need to do as a shepherd with sheep. I followed something, the stupid ones. I chased the stupid ones who would get through a hole in the fence. There was, they were the most rebellious animals you could think of in many, many ways. But I used to love them. They'd follow you. They'd just humble. You'd shear them and they'd just sit there and let you do what you had to do to them. But I soon learned to be a good shepherd. You needed to know the flock. Sometimes I would go out with someone, you know, and they were a visitor or usually from the city or whatever and they would come in and they would be walking and they were talking too loud, especially at lambing time, and the ewes would scatter. I said, it would be best if you just go back home. The, young, the mother would tear off from a lamb. No, no, you can't. You've got, to be, you've got to know this flock. You've got to know the sheep. I soon learned that. And you've got to pay attention to every detail because otherwise it would cost you, in those terms, big money. And you had to do whatever it needed to serve the needs of the flock. Up all hours of the night, serving and waiting on them. Putting it simply, folks, elders are to be servant leaders, not rulers or dictators. They are not to lord it over those allotted to their charge, but are to be examples to the flock, just like Jesus was when he washed the disciples' feet. Remember? What an occasion that was. Here were all these disciples, you know, I'm a disciple of Jesus. And they're sitting back there and lounging on their couch, and, and he gets up and washes their feet. Jesus says, You never wash my feet, but I'll wash yours. Oh, Peter suddenly gets, oh, no, Lord, no, 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 not me, not me. And the story carries on. But the example is said, he washes their feet. He's a true example of a servant leader, of an elder, an overseer, a pastor in a church. Now, I know that I fall short on this, but, man, it's, it's challenging. These are the kind of men that the Lord has laid down the qualifications to, to be set over you. The leaders not only serve, but they, they lead the church into maturity by their own example. How? In their marriages, in their homes, and how hospitable they are, and compassionate they are, and sensitive they are, and, and all those kinds of things. That's how they lead by example. But leading by example in servanthood is not being a yes man, by the way. Some people would love elders to be yes men. Yes, men to the whims of the people. They're not to be that because there are times when leaders must exercise authority. 
Paul tells Titus in 1.9, he says, an elder must be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. There are times when certain practices among God's people must be prohibited and wrong doctrine must be confronted. There are times when that happens. There are times when church discipline must be carried out and none of these things are easy or pleasant and are really extremely taxing on leaders. But true godly servant leadership is not soft leadership. Secondly, elders should be shepherd God's flock by preaching and teaching. They'll shepherd their people, they'll protect and guide them to rich pastors, they'll guard them from spiritual wolves, can we say, they'll correct wrong beliefs, they'll heal their wounds, they'll restore people to the Lord as we see in the example of the good shepherd. If you want to see a good example of a good shepherd, you go to John chapter 10, where Jesus is the good shepherd. And the primary way, not the only way, but the primary way that elders shepherd the flock in the local church is done through preaching and teaching. The primary way. Now, this is not necessarily the responsibility of every elder, by the way. But it is those who are gifted for the building up of the church. It's for them to do this. As you know, I do most of the teaching here. Steve does teaching. Peter does teaching. Bill, you'll never see him in the pulpit. He's not a public speaking man, but you put that man in our Bible studies and one-on-one and he's an elder. He teaches, okay? And so the pastor or the elder or the overseer who's gifted in this work, he must do this work. Matter of fact, the scriptures teach us that he is to devote himself to this ministry. This is their priority. This is my priority, teaching and preaching. And that that has another effect. You want to flip the coin. If it's my priority, and if it's our priority as, as elders to teach and preach, that means you have a responsibility to come under the sound of that teaching and preaching, right? You should make it a priority to be here Sunday by Sunday, home group home by, by home group night, to hear the word of God preached. Otherwise, you're going to be a sheep that's going to start drifting off. Yes, sheep that drift off frustrate me, but I have to love them. I'll chase you. Steve will chase you. He does, he's a good chaser, this guy. Well, he doesn't chase, he goes after them gently, you know. But you know, the shepherd has a crook, and sometimes he's got to put the crook around his neck and give them a good yank back. He'll do that. But you need to put yourselves under the sound of the word of God. You need to take every care because after all, these elders in this church are divinely appointed, right? That's serious as we obey the word of God. And so your serious responsibility is to place yourself under their teaching and submit yourself to the elders and their teaching. This is what the believers did in Acts 2.42. They continued, uh, continually devoted themselves to the apostle teaching. Why? Because this is where your souls will be fed and shepherded and nurtured. The steady diet of Bible teaching from your shepherds is what produces spiritual maturity and Christian growth. By the way, this is a whole lot better than online sermons. 
I know a lot of you listen to Island Sermons. I listen to one or two, but some of you feast on them. Coming to the church and the local church is a whole lot better than online sermons. You say, why is that? It's simply this, because your shepherds are uniquely appointed by the Holy Spirit and are recognized by the church that you belong to to feed and shepherd your souls like no online preacher ever is. There's a place for it, but just remember that, okay? Your shepherds are appointed to know their sheep by name, by experience, by voice, with intimate compassion, with tears and with joy, all these things. Your shepherds care for your souls. These are the shepherds that God has placed over your souls for you to submit to so that what? So that they can carry out their work. And you know what the writer of the Hebrews said? So that they can carry out their work with joy and not with grief for this would be unprofitable for you. So there it is. Who's in charge of the church? Jesus Christ is. And he exercises leadership through elders who are spiritually mature men selected by God and recognized by the church who shepherd his flock by example and servanthood. There it is. Now, one final thing. I missed out verse 3 because I want to leave it right till now. Verse 1, sorry, of chapter 3. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Now, this word aspire here means to stretch out or to reach out after. It's not a prideful, ambitious aspiration. It's not something reaching out for a status. Some of you men here should have this desire from God to become elders. This is a desire so that you can serve the chief shepherd by helping to shepherd his flock. That's what the desire is about. And to get there, you younger men, you should be growing in godliness. This is how you're going to get there, right? It's not just about all desire. You, in other words, it's a bit like recognizing that the Holy Spirit selects overseers and now that we've got to obey the scriptures by, and look at the qualifications so that we could recognize those men, you young men, to get there, you should be growing in godliness as we see in the following list of qualities. You need to be spending time in the word and prayer. You should be shepherding your own family. You should be setting an example in your home to your wives, etc., and to your extended family. You should be taking every possible advantage to serve God's people by building up relationships with others with the goal of seeing others brought to Christ. In other words, the church should never put a man into the office of an elder so that he can serve. It should recognize elders being the men who are already, already living the life and doing the work in the church itself. That's what it should be. We need men who desire that fine work of oversight in his flock. You know, folks, we cannot grow and we will not grow. We cannot be effective and will not be effective as a church without divinely appointed leadership. So can I leave that with you? You other men out there, we have men amongst us who have all the potential, but it's not about potential. It's about desiring a good work. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we give thanks this morning.
just for the opportunity to open your word and, and to look at some of these things that many of us know so well. But Father, we just thank you that you have instituted your church and you have designed your church your way. Forgive us, Father, for any departing from what you have laid down on your word. We want to be those who not only believe the Bible, but we live the Bible. And even when it comes to how the church, this church operates, Father, keep us true. Give us a desire to be obedient, and may we be obedient to your word in every aspect. And so, Father, we pray for one another. You know each of our hearts. We just thank you for them. We pray for those who do not know Christ as Savior. We long for them to come to faith. And so, Father, do a work of grace in our hearts. Give us opportunity this week to speak to someone about their faith and their need to trust the Savior. Father, we pray for our marriages. We pray for our, our spouses, our children, our families. Help us in this ministry, we pray. Help us serve you. And so, Father, bless us through your word. We ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.